Well, good morning again. Um, I hope every time we do a teaching series, it is uh, meaningful and impactful and it's applicable and you take it and you, you go to life with it. But I really know when a, a sermon series um, hits it when it seems like it's over really fast and it felt like we just started this yesterday. This has been one of the, uh, probably my favorite uh, teaching series that I've done since I've been here over the last year. And it's hard to believe that it's already almost done. Um, we're wrapping up the final message today, and we're going to have a summary um, series next week. But we are talking about life together. And we've spent the past six weeks learning about the importance of building authentic biblical community. And what we've learned from God's Word, what we've learned that it's had to teach us, is that we are called to serve together and grow together and worship together, and through each of these messages that we've gone through, and each of the life group studies that you've been doing in your life groups, we are practicing how to build lives that are rooted in God's word, and we are practicing how to stay connected together. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly in Ephesians that the two things we need to to walk through every single day of this life are prayer and the word of God, but we also need spiritual partners who walk with us along the way. We are designed to be together. That's been the whole purpose of this message and all of these messages here in the last two months. The Bible gives 56 different ways of describing togetherness or one another verses. We're called to live in peace. We're called to have mercy. We're called to have compassion, to spur one another on and on and on. In essence, we belong together. And that's the title of my message today. We belong together. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? You see, we can't do any of the one another verses if we are alone. And so a foundational verse for this message this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And I love this visual image. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands is not quickly quickly broken. Now I want to share with you how I've been able to take this verse very literally in my life. I've been blessed to just as as God has opened up doors in, in our lives, I've been blessed to just meet more and more people who I have been able to establish firm and rooted relationships with. And there's four or five guys in my life that I turn to every week. Now, we may not always have time to get together. We may not always have time to sit and spend hours in conversation, but it could be simple as a text message. It could be as simple as having a quick cup of coffee or a little bit of a workout together. But in some way, somehow, there are five or six people that I'm in, in contact with at least every single week. And as we think about that whole idea of having those errands and those hers, those people that help hold us up in tough times and help celebrate us with us in good times, that's what we're hoping to establish, not only through our life groups, but just as the culture of this church, that we always have someone to walk through whatever we have to walk through together. 
If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared an account of Bill Hybels, who remembered the moments in his childhood when his father would remind him, be careful who you hang around with because what rubs off? Yeah, everyone's listening. That's awesome. Yes, because stupid rubs off. But I believe in the same way that wisdom and love rubs off as well if we're surrounding ourselves with people who will pour that into us. And so here's the 36,000-foot view of why this is so important to our church. Jesus gave his disciples the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 37, when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we establish a culture here where the love of God and the love of each other drives our hearts and fills our minds and gives direction to our tongues, then that love becomes infectious. When we leave this building every Sunday, that love inside of us informs how we interact in our marriages and in our friendships. It informs how we connect within our families, and it informs how we engage people in our workplaces. That's what this is all about. It is about fellowship. And when our souls are in tune with God, it brings us unimaginable joy to be connected to others in his spirit and in his love. This is how he designed us. And as we wrap up this study next week, our prayer must be, how do we sustain this? How do we grow this? And I go back to a very important part of last week's teaching. If you missed it, I just want to give you this quick summary. We have a clear understanding of those various dimensions in our lives and how they relate to how we live in community. We have wills, or many times as the Bible describes, our hearts. We have our minds, which direct our thoughts and feelings. We have our bodies, and we have our relationships. And Scripture, all throughout Scripture, it is clear that we are to honor God with each of these parts of us. And it is this soul, the soul, that connects these dimensions into our one whole life. And when sin and poor choices rule our lives, our souls disintegrate. But when Christ and the Holy Spirit are at rule in our lives, our souls are integrated to him and his likeness. And so the question remains, who will rule our hearts? Who will rule our minds and our bodies and our relationships? And what will this look like? John 13, 33 through 34 is an important passage where Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. So we know this is important, what he's about to say. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. And this is what he gives them as a parting command. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, as we think about how we belong together, we know that we are bound by that love. But what does this love look like? And that's where we're going to dive in today. If you have your notes, I really encourage you to take them along as we go through the rest of this message this morning. And our guiding verse is going to be 1 Corinthians 13.7 where Paul writes, love always, and this is always, 
This is unconditional when it comes to love. And we're going to really examine this today because that has everything to do with how we belong together. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. That's from 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And we're going to cover three of those four today. Not because hope is less important. It is just as important. But as I mentioned earlier, we've got this series coming up in Philippians where we're going to be really focusing on that. And I'm going to just focus on these three today. So as we build and think about the key relationships in our lives, we want to see how they stand the test of protection, of trust, and of perseverance. And so I want to start with protecting today, and we can come up with lots of different ways to describe protection, but I want to use this one. Protection within community means paying careful attention. If you have your notes, you want to write that down. It means paying careful attention. Now, this is probably the first sermon illustration you've ever heard that is going to use the band Van Halen, if you've ever heard of them. And this is kind of fun to say, but in this case, you probably have to be over 35 to get this, which is kind of fun. Usually you got to be under 18. Well, no, you got to be over 35 to really get this. There was a band, it was one of my favorites back when I was in high school, a band called Van Halen. And one of the things that they did that many bands of their time didn't is they liked to go to smaller communities and perform. So maybe Van Halen shows up in Sioux City and not just the Twin Cities in Chicago. They would go to much smaller communities to play. They wanted to play for their fans. But they always had a concern that when they showed up to play that there would be enough safety, that everything would be okay, that they could perform. And so there's a legend that Van Halen's standard concert contract called for them to be provided with a bowl of M&Ms backstage. This is a true story. They demanded that a bowl of M&Ms be provided for them backstage. But there was one provision. Every single brown M&M had to be removed from that bowl. Every single one. The presence, now get this, the presence of even a single brown M&M in that bowl as written in this gigantic contract that they would sign with the cities and the uh, people who would put on these concerts. If there was one brown M&M, that was sufficient legal cause for Van Halen to preemptively cancel the scheduled appearance without any advance notice, and the town who was hosting them would lose all their money. Now you're sitting there thinking, boy, what a... What a group of prima donnas, man. They, they, they were going to make these people sort out these brown M&Ms just to show that they can. Would they really walk away from a concert if someone had a brown M&M? And so there was this legend that followed them with all of these concerts that they did back in the 80s and early 90s. And some of their contract language would look like this. Article 148. So this tells you how thick this book was. There will be 15 amperage voltage shocks at 20-foot spaces, evenly providing 19 amperes. So you have all this technical language about setting up their stage. They'd come in with 18 semi-trucks, and they would set up this gigantic stage. And you'd be reading along and along and along. And here's number, article number 126, sort of in the middle of nowhere. There will be no brown M&Ms in the backstage area upon pain of forfeiture of the show with full compensation. Now, that's a true story. But it's not for the reason that you think. We think it's just a bunch of you know, rock and roll guys trying to show who they were. But here's the truth. And David Lee Roth finally said it in his autobiography. He wrote this. He says, when I would walk backstage, if I saw one brown M&M in that bowl, 
It told me that the people putting that stage together hadn't read the contract. They hadn't read the directions. They hadn't read how to set up everything properly. And I knew that if they had not read that, what else didn't they read? And if they didn't read some of these things, the entire show could be at risk. The entire crowd could be in jeopardy because the stage could collapse because the people who were in charge of putting it together didn't read all the details. And so he would say that if I went to the backstage and I found this bowl of M&Ms or if there was a missing bowl of M&Ms or the brown ones weren't found, he said an entire line check would be done on the entire production. No, they weren't going to pull up and leave. But that sign of no brown, or of brown M&Ms in that bowl simply meant you guys didn't read every detail. You didn't pay attention to everything that's going to protect our band and protect our audience. And so we're going to go back through and we're going to redo every single piece of the stage step by step by step. And that's kind of cool, isn't it? That's the idea of protection. It is paying attention to what matters most. And so I have a question for you this morning as you think about this whole idea of love that protects, love that pays attention. What are you paying attention to most? Because what you're paying attention to most is what you're protecting the most. And there's those moments sometimes, I think, that come along in life where you do something, where, whether you were thinking so or not, and your wife thinks that you're this the greatest thing for doing it. Some of the little things. And guys, I would call that a bonus moment for us when that happens. And I'm going to give you an example. So for Beth's birthday a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, we've both been pretty busy. I really wanted to, you know, she's working really hard with the preschool. She's doing a great job. I wanted to send her off with a friend to Omaha and just let her have a day to go out to eat, do a little shopping. And so I stopped. I put gas in the car. I went back and sent her on her way. And Beth noted to me that the coolest thing about the whole thing was the fact that I just put gas in the car. <laughs> and I know that sounds small and it sounds simple, but to Beth, she says to me, Jeff, when you do something like that, it just tells me that you're thinking about protecting me from running out of gas or maybe having to get out someplace and get the gas myself. The fact that you filled up the tank meant that you're protecting me. You're taking care of me. And I really had to rethink things in my marriage when I think of, all the things that go on on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes it's just the little things that we notice. It's the little things that matter. I want to show you this card that I took from this last month's prayer meeting. Here it is right here. Every single prayer request, every praise, every concern, every need, we write them all down. And I keep this in my Bible because here's the thing. Psalm 82.3 says that we are to defend the weak and the fatherless. We are, up, we are to uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And here's the deal. I follow that as, as best as I possibly can. I want to care for people. I want to defend people. I want to look out for people. And when needs and requests comes in, the key thing is I want to know they exist. And so when we sit in these prayer meetings and we're bringing up these needs, I want to make sure that I'm taking notes because we sometimes don't know what's going on in people's lives. Because maybe we're not able to pay very close attention. We're busy ourselves. And so when we talk about living in biblical community, we're talking about living in a way where we're constantly looking out for each other's needs. And that begins by, first of all, understanding what those needs are. So important. Another key thing that we can do every day in our families, every day in our workplaces, is just to simply know something individual about every single person. Maybe it's an interest or something that they're proud of. 
Maybe it's something that they enjoy doing. But we create common bonds with each other just by getting to know each other, by paying attention to the things that drive us, the things that we like, the things that we need. It's critically important that we know the needs of others. We protect each other by paying attention to each other. And that's so critically important. So that's number one. Love, the way Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love protects. And for me to protect, I must always be paying attention to the needs around me. Next is trust. And trust, trusting within community, we can use a couple of different things, but we're going we're gonna to use this. Trust means to keep secure, to keep confidence. Those of you who have gone through the life group study and went through this, we remember that Rick Warren spent a lot of time talking about gossip. And Proverbs 11.13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. We believe in each other, and we believe for each other. Now, I'm sure you've all heard this phrase before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Never hurt me. You know what? That's nonsense. (laughs) That's nonsense. Words What we say can destroy people. It can destroy reputations. It can undermine relationships. Our words can unravel entire groups if those words spread and spread and spread. Words are very powerful. And I want to read this account that Jesus encountered with the Pharisees. When a woman was caught caught in adultery, you're all very familiar probably with this story, but I want to read it to you and put a little bit of different twist on it. So this woman is caught in adultery, and the law of the time says that she's to be stoned. So, as Scripture goes on, So when they continued asking Jesus, he lifted up himself and he said to them, He that is without sin. The Pharisees are trying to corner him. What should we do with her? And Jesus says, He who is without sin among you, let them be the first to cast the stone at her. And again he stooped down and rode on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the, with the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, what are those thine accusers? Hath no harm condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so this was an account where Jesus had the opportunity to teach the power of forgiveness and the power of a community that doesn't so quickly judge and spread and go. And I want to put that in terms of words. Not in this case with the use of stones, but in the use of words. Because I can be as guilty of this as anyone. I can be guilty of using words to either spread or hurt or to sort of hear what's going on around me in ways that people are not being uplifted, but they're sort of being torn down. And you know, I think there's two things that are at the heart of all gossip. Number one, it could be our own hurts. You think about this, our own hurts. And that might lend toward jealousy toward others, or maybe simply anger towards someone else. And when that happens, we want to hear what's going on in those worlds. Another thing it might reflect is our own need to feel better for ourselves or about ourselves. And so we do so with a desire to convict others, just as these people were going to convict this woman. So we have to ask ourselves honestly during the course of a day, how much do we gossip? And more importantly, how much do we enjoy it? 
I believe that is a condition of the soul situation that we looked at last week. But I want to share this with you from Scripture. And I've got to remind myself of this every single day. God hates gossip. In fact, he hates it so much that he lists it as the same type of sin as adultery and murder. And you know why I think that's written that way? Because just like adultery and murder, gossip destroys lives. It's destructive to relationships. And you know, when I think about it, I, I need to do some serious examination of my own life whenever I find myself seeking some satisfaction in the struggle of others, because that's what gossip is, isn't it? You're hearing about someone else's problems, someone else's poor decisions, someone else's struggle, and you kind of take a little satisfaction on it, don't you? That's why we want to kind of hear some more and hear some more. That's gossip. And it's destructive not only to our relationships, but it's destructive to our souls. A friend, when we belong together, a friend stops gossip. And so I would like to issue the same challenge that that Rick Warren issued. Do we truly have hearts that celebrate the joys of those around us? And do we have the kind of hearts that will stop gossip when we're gathered and it's happening there's, there are times when I have to say to Beth, and we need to say to each other, we need to be on top of anytime conversations turn to anything that's not either uplifting or informing, anytime we go down the path of so-and-so and so-and-so, we've got to ask ourselves, are we gossiping here? And we've got to back out of that trail as fast as we can. It's so damaging in so many ways. Next, I want to look at what it means to Persevere. So we we belong together by protecting each other. We belong together by trusting each other and upholding that trust with the words that we say and our actions toward each other. To persevere means that we walk in unconditional love. And here's the deal. Anyone who's been married for more than one day can attest love is hard work, isn't it? Love is really hard work. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's so blessed. But it's also hard work. I remember a time, my, my, my in-laws, uh, John and Marlene, have been married. Uh, they'll be celebrating their 50th anniversary here in about four years. And they both still tell a story like it was yesterday, and I think it perfectly illustrates this. They were newly married. Um, Beth's dad was a teacher. Uh, Marlene was a nurse, and they were living in Sioux Falls. And like everyone who gets married, uh, you're starting off on a pretty tight budget. And so John decided they were going to have the entire family of relatives on both sides over for a cookout. And this would have been about 25 people. And John was convinced that the best way to have a cookout is to have steak for everybody. And Marlene, who is very budget conscious, is saying, I think we better go hamburgers because you know how expensive this is going to be. And so they both tell this story like it happened yesterday. It was clearly a a, a powerful moment in their marriage. John won out and got the steak, but he lost out because it created a lot of tension for a long time between him and Marlene. Balancing out our needs, walking through decisions. This is hard work when we love people. The closer a relationship becomes, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our friendships, the more prone they are to conflict because we're around each other more. And the more prone we are to hurting each other. And so when that happens, the question is, how do we respond? Do we give someone the cold shoulder because they slighted us or they hurt us? You know, I wish I could go back in all the years of our 16 years of marriage. There are times when we had some conflict, Beth and me, and my response would be to sort of just walk away, to sort of pout. I'm a kind of a powder. I used to be. I'm getting better at it. But I'd I'd kind of go and I'd pout. 
Or I'd, I'd just go quiet and I'd turn on my ball game and I would just disengage. I wish I could have those moments back. I'm glad that we all mature, don't, aren't you? <laughs> I'm glad we can all look back on our times in times we've made mistakes and we grow from them and we learn from them. Or do we even go further than the cold shoulder and do we try to get back or get even with our words or our actions? Or do we resolve to confront the conflict and rebuild and restore that relationship on the spot in the moment? To me, that's the key in preparing a long healthy, not only marriage, but friendship, and in a broader perspective, a church. Your brokenness in a particular relationship that is valuable to you might be greater at the moment than arguing over steak and hamburger. And if that's the case, if you're in a fractured relationship of some kind right now, I want to give you this verse of encouragement. When you face challenges with others, in whatever relationships those might be, I want you to think of Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9 gives this encouragement. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You see, too many relationships today are broken because one party or the other simply decides, I've had enough, I give up. And they walk away. Do you know someone who's afraid of commitment? Have you ever worked or dealt with somebody like that? It's one of the biggest challenges I think our society faces today. So many people, so many of us lack commitment. Because commitment means that we give all of ourselves through thick and thin, whether it is easy and when it is hard, when it is inconvenient, and yeah, sometimes even when it's painful, but we never give up. And today it feels like in too many ways and in too many circumstances, it's just easy for someone to take their ball and go somewhere else. They walk away. And see, here's the deal. If you invest little, you lose little. And so up front, I think that's why sometimes people don't get invested in whatever that is because they can walk away and not lose a lot. But God didn't design us to live like that in community. God designed us to give everything just like he gave everything to us. Loyalty is commitment. And every relationship we have is based on commitment. Romans 10.10 says to us, be devoted in one another in brotherly love. And so now I want to go back to these friends that I talk about, those close friends that I share life with, like I share life with all of you. One of them, we were meeting this this week, and he had gone through a really difficult time that really grew him, and he simply said this, you know, Jeff, sometimes our greatest struggles help us bear out our best fruit. Because I went through this and because I had all this support around me, I actually am a better, stronger person for having gone through it. I didn't quit. I persevered. And because I persevered, the fruit that I produced from that hard time has blessed me in ways I would have never expected. When we face challenges together, we have to have that kind of attitude, that attitude that we are always going to persevere, that we are always going to stay together. So I want to finish with this. As we examine our church body, do we protect each other? Are we paying attention to the needs of those around us, to each other? Do we trust each other? Do we use our words and our actions to build up? Or are there places where we're tearing down? Do we have that common trust? And will we persevere together? Will we go together through whatever challenges we face? Will we do it together? Now I want to leave you with one last application, and I think this is critically important. 
And we've got a wide range of, of, of ages here in the group, and I think this is applicable to every single one of us, whether you're very young or whether you're further along down the path of life. And that is this. Any of you who, are in, who have anything to do with teenage kids, all right, teenage children, teenage grandchildren, there are questions that you better be discussing and be prepared for, and they go like this. When am I in love, and what are my friendships supposed to look like? Has anyone who ever, has ever raised teenagers who are now grown, do you remember any drama that circled around either boyfriends or girlfriends or friends of your kids? Anybody? <laughs> you betcha. Every single one of you. Here's what I would say. If we want a framework for how we can teach our kids to not only have a great dating relationship and someday great marriage, to also having good, solid friendships in their world. And if we want to take that not only to teenage kids, but we want to see how that looks when we're in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and 50s and so on, I would say this. When you are at the point in your life, and this is what I would say to any teenager who wants to talk about dating or dealing with friends, when you are at a point in your life when you are mature enough to know and understand how to offer someone protection, when you're mature enough that someone can trust you all the time, and when you're mature enough that you're willing to persevere with someone at any given moment. And then on the flip side, when you've met someone who will offer that back to you, that is belonging. That should be what we're looking for in a spouse. That should be what we're looking for in our closest friends. And that's what we should be looking for inside of our community that we create with our friends. Does that make sense? So I don't know what age a kid should start dating. I just know my daughter won't date till she's 20. But everyone else can do your own thing. But when I'm working with teenagers or I'm talking to kids, what I want to say to them is it's not about the age. It's about the understanding and the maturity. And I have friends my age who still don't get this. And that's why relationships have, some of their relationships have blown up on them. When we're examining our faith, when we're examining our, our life and community, we have to understand and define them by how do we protect, how do we trust, and how do we persevere. And so back to two Sundays ago, I'll leave you with this question. In those areas, how are you doing? How are we all doing together? I'm seeing some amazing things coming out of what our life groups are doing, not only in serving together, but in growing together. And you're going to see some of those testimonies next week. I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to be sure you're here next week. Be here next week. And just as importantly, bring someone with you. Bring a friend. We want to share what's growing and what's building here in this church with as many people as we can reach. This is what I want for the body of this church. We protect, we trust we hope and we persevere. That is love. And when we get this, our lives, our very souls become so in tune with God's nature that pure joy fills our days. And that's how God intended us to live. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we go back to our foundational verse. Romans 12, 5. We know that in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each of us, each member of this body, belongs to all the others. Father, the most important reason when people say what brought them to you, most people will say, a friend led me to Christ. A friend invited me to church. Father, as we continue to grow community here, 
I, help, I pray that you just help us continue to follow and understand what it means to belong together. Father, in every marriage, in every family, in every place that we work in, most importantly, Father, this body that meets here, that serves you and follows you, Father, I pray that we can keep our eyes focused on protecting each other, trusting and building trust in each other, and persevering together. We have that hope. We have that hope together because of you and what you did on the cross. Father, we thank you for this series. We thank you for the growth that we're feeling as a church and the outreach and the opportunities that we're able to have. Father, I pray for every single person here today that they can examine their lives against what it looks like to belong together. Help us keep building these relationships that reflect your nature. And we thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.